0: This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. On this episode, Charlie Shrem and Jason Granger explain the Main Street Investment Fund, a limited partnership which distributes its revenues to addresses associated with self-verified token holders. A separate company, Intellisys, manages the fund. The intricate problem-solving required to create a legal token on the Ethereum blockchain that is backed by traditional investments is fascinating to behold. Main Street started accepting funding on the 27th of February. So, this episode is coming out a bit late. You can find links to both Main Street and Intellisys in the episode notes. The first thing that we should probably do is reacquaint the audience with who you guys are. How about we start with you, Jason?
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having us on your show, uh, first of all, and uh, a bit about my background. I come from the traditional banking, investment, private equity world. I started my career in banking during the rise and fall of the financial crisis. Um, I was sitting, I sat there at the table uh, as credit analyst, and watched a lot of money go out the door without much uh, regard for the amount of risk that the bank was taking. And then ended up doing a lot of the workout loans or the workout uh, efforts. Uh, for the loans that uh, we shouldn't have made. So it was an interesting time. It was a great learning experience just to understand how the real world of money works. And then in 2007, I moved on to a family owned business, a family office of sorts. And we managed a lot of different types of investment funds. Uh, we were heavy into healthcare. And before I left, one of the big projects that we did, uh, we put together a business plan, a $2 billion business plan for the senior living industry and went out to uh, the investment community was able to negotiate a deal it took about a year uh, from 2014 to 2015 uh, with AIG they, gave, they uh, committed $405 million of capital towards our our roll-up plan for senior living and then in 2016 early in 2016 I decided to move on it was a family business, and as you know, there's certain dynamics that go on in the family business. and it,
0: <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. It,
1: I had a different vision for how we were going to grow. I, was, uh, I handled all of our operations, so I oversaw the entire... I had 25 people underneath me, and uh, we had a pretty, pretty big operations team, but I was starting to see a lot of the similar trends that I saw earlier on when I was at the company, and it wasn't my company, it was my dad's company, and I had a different philosophy of how employees need to be treated, um, the programs that we needed to have to be able to uh, really grow a company, and wanted and decided to move on, and it was about the same time I was really getting into uh, the excitement that we all saw last year in blockchain, so Charlie and I got together and I said hey Charlie tell me you know explain to me this crazy world of ICOs. I don't quite understand why people are willing to invest that much money. So that's kind of how the story began.
0: Yep, that's how we kind of got together. And Charlie, you need no introduction, but uh but <laughs> let's let's do it anyway.
2: Um so yeah, just to introduce myself, my name is Charlie Shrem. Uh, I've been uh involved in the cryptocurrency, Bitcoin space for too many years now. No, I'm just joking. For uh, <laughs> since the the early days um, of of the space, when we can count how many people knew about Bitcoin, uh, my fingers and toes. And uh, I started the first uh, the first, I guess, larger scale Bitcoin company called BitInstant. And we at one time we were doing uh, a, a pretty decent market share of all uh, Bitcoin to dollar purchases and sales, and that was really exciting. We had like 30 people working for us and and uh one of the first uh investments in the space and I went on to to found the the Bitcoin Foundation and be its vice chairman and uh invest and and uh be an advisor for, for a dozen or so different projects in the space.
0: And so together you guys are working on two different projects, mainstream and IntelliSys, uh can you describe what they do and how they interrelate?
2: Sure. Um So what we're doing here at a very basic level is that we're launching a a token on the Ethereum standard on the ERC-20 token standard, and our token actually um, uh, comes with security rights that uh, you own shares in Main Street LP. Main Street LP is a limited partnership company, and Main Street Main Street LP uh, goes out and purchases United States stable middle market. non-sexy companies that have been around a very long time and are making uh, profits. We're essentially using Ethereum to uh, help private companies go public and their token holders own shares in these companies. IntelliSys Capital is the, we didn't just want to build a platform that allowed people to do this. We want, and you know, like we could potentially, potentially just build an asset platform and open source it and allow you know, companies to do it themselves. A lot of these companies don't really know how to do it. So we, we launched IntelliSys, and then alongside Main Street, IntelliSys will go out and buy the companies, uh, find the companies, uh, buy them on behalf of Main Street, and um, kind of help allocate the money that comes in from the token sale to purchase these companies.
0: So that makes sense to a certain degree, but it seems like it circumvents. Kind of the checks and balances that typically go that are typically in place to protect investors uh, from purchasing uh, private companies, right part of the reason that it needs to needs to be assessed by the SEC is to make sure that it is something that is investable and uh, and so I'm wondering, is this circumventing a necessary step in the in the process of a company going public?
1: Arthur, this is Jason. I wouldn't say that we're circumventing anything. Frankly, a lot of the token sales that, happened, that have happened thus far have gone down similar roads, but they've tried everything in their power to not look and feel like a security. What we've done is this is just like any other private offering that has the same type of agreement. So limited partnership agreement, that outlines all of the rights of investors uh, just like any other uh, private equity fund the key difference is those investors now receive a a token and we ask okay well what's what's the purpose of doing this on the blockchain well traditionally if you invest in real estate or invest in a company or invest in a private equity fund or a venture capital fund There's not a liquid market. If you wanted to get your investment out before the fund was completed, traditionally it's a five or seven year time horizon, uh, you're you're basically held, your capital, your investment is held captive and there's not a secondary market. Um, And what we're seeing with blockchain is the opportunity for people to invest in new concepts, new ideas, new technologies. And we saw, okay, well, the next step is investing in real companies. Um, and that token now becomes freely tradable and there's the secured interest that people have where that token represents ownership, um, and companies that are, that will go out and buy that are profitable, that make money. And we could distribute those profits, um, via the blockchain smart contracts. And so it's much more expensive. And exactly. what we've seen is in this, in this marketplace, uh, when you look at traditional investment, to do a traditional IPO as a stock offering, I mean, you're talking about billions of dollars um, and the money sits at the top. And, and we see kind of a different way that's going to start to evolve whereby companies can use this technology, still follow all the same legal requirements and all the same legal hurdles to make sure that investors are protected. And that's that's our goal is that we've we we brought on Marco Santori. He's very well known in the, in the Bitcoin and blockchain space, has been for the last five or six years. And we also brought in his whole team at Cooley from a securities law standpoint to make sure that we're doing everything by the law and make sure that um, this is gonna be the first token sale that's done the correct way.
0: Is this a step forward for the token launch model?
2: Yes, look, Ethereum is such an amazing technology. And I've I've been a passive investor <clears throat> since since the early days, being friends with with all of the founders are personal friends of mine, from from Joe to Mihai to Anthony to Vitalik. And this is such a step forward. Now we want to take it to the next step. Ethereum solves so many problems. <clears throat> but one of the killer apps I think for Ethereum is the ability to tokenize assets and to securitize them. Essentially tokens that are backed by real world assets. Imagine a world where if you're a real estate developer and you want to build a a complex of flats or apartments, and you want essentially to, to raise the funds to build it, you already have a reputation, a good one, and you want to sell tokens on Ethereum that represent ownership in your uh development complex things like that imagine a world where a farmer in south america can can sell tokens that represent his profits or shares in his farm um and sell it to someone in china or in the united states i mean you're you're breaking down global barriers you're circumventing and kind of transcending the whole global uh financial monetary system but not just with money but with actual like assets and that's why this is so exciting. That's why I got involved in this project because there were so many other projects doing some great things, but I just didn't want to just, you know, create a token on Ethereum that promises to build a technology and then have it develop a developer roadmap for five years and not really do anything with it. You know what I mean? Like I want to actually do something. Provide a real world utility.
0: So the custodianship of the assets are attached to the token and the token is the custodianship of the token is tracked by the blockchain. But what if the the token is stolen or lost? Um, is there, I mean, is there some recourse in that situation?
2: It's a good question, and it's a question that, that we're constantly trying to come up with answers to them. Uh, unlike unlike something like the DAO, where there's a hundred million dollars kind of sitting in a smart contract, um, there's no there's no funds lost. In, in a situation with Main Street, because the tokens represent ownership in a portfolio company, in this company. So when you buy the tokens, you register the security. So Jason can explain to you how uh, the token, merely the token itself is not the security, but uh, actually registering the token and registering it yourself as a security holder. Jason, can you explain that better actually?
1: Yeah, um, and I, I think I understand what you're asking, Arthur. From an individual standpoint, if I have Ethereum or MIT tokens in my Ethereum wallet, Miss Wallet or Jack's Wallet or whatnot, those if, if if they lose their key, if they lose those tokens, or if their account gets hacked, we have no recourse, and we're we're hoping that the industry comes up with a way to have a, a more secure mechanism. Um, to be able to hold crypto assets in their, in their wallets and reduce the amount of, of, of theft or loss uh, that occurs there. So it's no different than if you lose your Bitcoin wallet, you lose your key, and those, those just basically go off. And I wish we had a mechanism. But to Charlie's point, just like the, we see in China right now with the exchanges, they're being required to beef up all of their KYC AML policies and processes uh, because they're trying to prepare for the future of what Bitcoin's going to ha- what's going to happen in the Bitcoin and the blockchain space. The investors are going to have to go through the same process. We have to follow the same laws like everyone else does. So they go into Main Street, they register their to- they re- put their name address, they go through a verification service uh, that you know, verifies their citizenship and that they're a legitimate person and they're not on any AML, uh, OFAC watch lists, etc. And then they can immediately go to our portal, use 29 different tokens. Um, we're using uh, blocktrades.us, which is a form of shapeshift shift with less restrictions. And they can use any 29 different tokens, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, um, and use that to purchase MIT tokens during that process they have to go through and electronically or digitally verify that they've read all of our securities documents we have an offering memorandum we have a subscription agreement we have a limited partnership agreement and they have to self-certify that they meet their own country's laws rules requirements for this type of investment and sign electronically digitally the limited partnership agreement that happens during the ito during the token sale after the 60 days of the token sale those tokens then will become freely tradable on exchanges across the world Um, and we've been in discussion long discussions for the last several months with a number of the top exchanges and they become fungible um, and tradable Those tokens then, once it goes from the original owner who signed that limited partnership agreement and gets transferred to anyone else in the world, that token is only beneficial interest, meaning it's just a token like any other token. But that individual, that new owner, that new investor can uh, memorialize their security rights by coming back through our portal, whitelisting their address to say, yep, I'm I'm now the new owner of these tokens, and they go through the same two to three minute process, and then they get registered, and they go on our investor registry. We see that a lot of people aren't even gonna go through that. They're just gonna trade the token because we know in this this space, everything is purely speculative. However, once it comes time to distribute profits that are generated from the companies that we have purchased and brought into the main street portfolio, investors will have an interest in making sure that they go through the registration process because then they can receive the Ethereum distributions. We basically take us dollars, convert it into Ethereum and then pay out those distributions on the smart contracts. We just like a normal company, a publicly traded company would take a snapshot and say, okay, all the investors at this point in time, Uh, When we're ready to pay out a dividend, we're going to take a snapshot. And then those are the investors that will receive the dividends. We're applying that same process here. And so what investors will be able when we take that snapshot. Investors will will have a snapshot of the blockchain and all addresses that have all tokens. And then those addresses will have to be registered or whitelisted to receive the dividends meaning they have to go through the same kyc aml process and then we'll distribute out the ether and then uh they'll receive those distributions and then the the trading will continue the trading will continue uh for anyone who doesn't register uh we accrue those distributions and they get accrued to the next quarter when we make those distributions and put into the entire pie and then to get distributed out to investors anything that's never anytime there's a Unspoken for distributions, those never go to us. Those are always still the investors, um, and they'll just accrue.
0: This is fantastic. Uh, it's not a fungibility issue, right? I mean, t- typically, I think of when you have jurisdictional concerns, you have uh, you have fungibility problems where you have some tokens that meet uh, meet the necessary jurisdictional standards and others that don't. And, uh, and it's interesting to see that instead of the tokens meeting the standards, it's the actual owners or the registered controllers of the wallets who need to meet those standards in order to receive the benefit.
2: Correct. It's funny you said that because Jason and I were like working through that yesterday and there was a fungibility question that came up. And it's not the tokens themselves that have the security rights. It's the token holders. It's the addresses. So the tokens can trade on exchanges And they're all, every token is the same, but it's, it's how many tokens your address has during the snapshot time is how much, how much worth of dividends you get.
0: This is, this is weird and really, you know, this is not, uh, it's, it's not trivial. Yeah.
2: It's new. It's not, definitely not trivial and it's complicated, uh, but we're working through it and we're making sure we do it the right way. Like I said, I've, I've never been one to do something that someone else has done before. I'm kind of known for being the first one to do something. But we're doing it the right way this time. We're actually listening to our lawyers. And we're, and we're you know, I'm not a kid in, in my basement anymore. So we're actually doing it the right way. And I, and I told my lawyer, I said, I just want to make sure I don't go back to jail by doing this. And he said, Charlie, as long as you listen to me, you're not going to jail. The reason you went last time is because you didn't listen to me.
0: Yeah, it's all. I was actually not gonna. Uh, I was actually not gonna bring it up. But um, I was speaking to Peter Vicens a while ago, and he made the comment um, that he was hanging out with some people in 2012. And when he thinks back to whatever table he was at, it was at a dinner, and he mentioned you were there. And uh, he said he, he looked around, and when he remembers those people, all of them are now either rich or in jail, or, or, or either got rich or went to jail. Yeah, or both. Or both <laughs> Hey, it's a compromise i mean hey listen the the,
2: the big when i was in there the bitcoin price was at its lowest point in many years it, when i went in it was at 180 and and the price when i got out was around 500 dollars. so i was a forest hold i basically lived for free for a year instead of having to live off my coins and selling
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh that's brilliant and actually it's interesting this is uh just to anecdotalize further um I, uh, I just the other day I had one of those hot shock horror things, you know. I uh, I lost a password that uh, encrypted a private key. Uh, nothing, oh no, nothing like major, but it wasn't small either. You know, it, it's it's my worst. Uh, it's my worst one. Yeah, I mean, we've all had little ones here and there. This was a, this wasn't a little. Did you
2: did you have access to it or no? You still, it's I'm it's gone.
0: Access. It's it's never gonna come. In.
2: Wait, no, it's not gone. Yeah, I, I have. You reached out to Dave at Wallet Recovery Services. He's really good.
0: Well, here is the thing. This and this it's a uh, what happened was I set up an address to have some sent to because the Bitcoin network's been going so slowly. And I set it up on blockchain.info and I used a LastPass password, but I didn't check to see that it had been saved in LastPass. And um, and so I think it's a pretty good password. Um, and it's, oh, no. you know, and it's definitely... Do
2: you remember any, any letters or any characters that are part of it? Do you remember anything?
0: It's a 12... 12- uh, it's a 12-character string, capitals, <laughs> numbers, and symbols. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, But, I mean, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's set me back like a month. I'm sorry. Month. Well, it's, what happens when this is a really important asset? What happens when this is an asset that represents more than just kind of bare metal value? What if this represents responsibility or control? You know, in the in the case of a uh, in the case of the asset that you guys are uh, talking about, I wonder if those could hold voting rights or play a comparable administrative role, and if the loss of keys could suddenly start to have greater significance as as exact as the the, the tokens and addresses that you're talking about are starting to take on more and more subtle uh, yeah. subtle qualities.
1: Sure. It's interesting. That's, that isn't it very interesting dynamic. Um, one that we didn't want to try out until we get the first part done, um, because voting rights, I think, will be more and more a an aspect. I think the Dow. It was. It was a very much of a very much an experiment. No one. No one even fathomed that they could raise one hundred and fifty million dollars in sixty days. Um, they thought they would raise maybe 10 or 15 and then be able to fund Slockit. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just goes through the roof. And one of the mechanisms, the difficulties with that process was it was purely autonomous and the code was not accurate, which allowed the hacker to be able to come in and, and take advantage of that. Uh, but when you talk about voting rights, that was one thing that the Dow really did focus on. And I think that we're gonna to start to see some evolving dynamics that come out of that uh, experiment and start to have some better smart contract functionality that allows for, for voting rights. It'll be, it'll be, an, it'll be a neat, neat process to see how that evolves. But you're right, What would you lose it, uh, you could have one big shareholder accidentally loses key or get hacked or stolen, and then all of a sudden control shifts, right? Um, the balance of control then would be uh, greatly affected. And I think we're going to have to start to see some better security measures, some better security wallets. Uh, who knows? Maybe that moves into the biometric world um, where you can use a, a biometric scan of some sort to unlock your wallet. Um, and it's, it's, it's a secure form of, of uh, keeping everything safe
0: yeah because it feels bizarre that we're still having this conversation, you know I mean it's been so long, and the fact that someone like myself i mean <laughs> i mean I'll be the first to admit i'm I'm an extremely careless individual, but still I mean I've been in this for not as long as uh as yourself, Charlie, but since early two thousand and thirteen, and these kind of mistakes just should not be happening. you know it shouldn't be possible to make a mistake like that in today's world, but there you go
2: I agree, yeah. I completely agree with you, but we learn from our mistakes. It's it's if we keep making the same mistakes all over again, that's when <laughs> yeah. we may be going yeah.
0: insane. Um, so, where to from here? I mean, you know, we've. Uh, I know this is you guys are just just getting started, but you must have a uh, a vision for the future. Uh, could could you outline what you expect to see, how you expect to see this track? that you guys are uh, on um, heading down how you see that unfolding as uh, as as the space develops
1: well uh, you know there's a, there's, some, there's many reasons there's several reasons why we didn't offer this in the US a lot of people have asked us why why would you miss out on a big market well the problem is the regulations are very very strict with a private equity type investment and there's two key characteristics one tradability there's in uh, transferability, there's restrictions for investors to transfer their interest um, during a certain period of time. Uh, it's, a, it's a year before they can start to transition trade that. And then the second key issue is the limitation on the number of investors. And as we've seen with crowd sales and you know, normal crowd sales and ICOs, people want to have a lot of different investors because you can, you can have a much, bar, much bigger community to reach out to. Um, and to get buy-in and to get people to invest. And so that's why we did not go the route of doing a Reg D offering in the U.S. And it's just very expensive. Um, but we're starting to see, I mean, Marco is working on several companies, individual companies that are choosing not to take the traditional you know, private placement memorandum, you know, closed private fund process or going out and finding some joint ventures they're normal companies in the U.S. that are looking for a different way to raise funds to uh, provide the capital for the growth. And we see, we just got asked this on another interview, what do you see in 10 years? And in 10 years, we see a brand new market that has three different, you know, know—blockchain is going to be divided up into three different areas. One is monetary, like Bitcoin. The second is a commodity based uh, sector where you know you you, you uh, have a token that represents um, you know ability to you know buy cloud storage real estate or for gaming or for insurance purposes what you know whatever the case may be and a whole sub segment there and then the third area is going to be securities where you know these tokens are you know ownership shares in companies and not for exactly. companies but smaller companies imagine. We always talk about, well, imagine that restaurant right around the corner from you or that microbrewery um, that wants to expand. That microbrewery, through this type of platform, could issue digital tokens and get all of their supporters, the people that help them be successful, and say, present to them a business plan, talk to their attorneys, put together the documentation and say, hey, we're going to go public. You know, in this blockchain space, we're going to issue digital tokens. If you guys want to be a part of our growth, here's how you can do that. We want to open up five more locations um, and then they have access to all of their customers. And those customers can benefit. Those customers can invest to say, hey, I really like what they do. I love their vision. I love their plan. I love their brand. We want to see them succeed and we want to help them grow. And it's decentralizing. It's, it's taking away the investment uh, power from the top 0.1% in you know, our global economy and starting to allow people at the ground level uh, to be able to determine how they want to invest and be able to be at the ground floor of some really great ideas, um, as opposed to just the millionaires and the billionaires who decide which companies are going to be successful. We're seeing that in blockchain already. We've seen these companies like Coinbase started from, from nothing. I mean, after after Charlie's bid instant, people started seeing that there's an opportunity to be able to provide a great service for people, for how can people transfer their electronic, um, electronic funds. And a lot of great companies came out of that uh, because there was a need that needed to be met. And I think more and more, we're going to start to see those needs open up in traditional Industry and see how blockchain can make an impact on traditional industry in, in particular ways And that was what brought Charlie and I together. Charlie's got a synergy plan uh, for how blockchain can help traditional industry
0: uh, So what's that plan Charlie? so what so what we're doing is and we
2: purchased a company um, Like a non Bitcoin company completely or non blockchain company uh, for example, the first company is our sanitary waste business we have a great advisory board that consists of non-blockchain people and blockchain people and what we're doing is we go out to these companies and we look at them we physically go look at them and we say to ourselves okay how can blockchain tech save this company money and how can uh, blockchain tech make them more money like how can we actually apply this technology to real world businesses, it's not going to be an easy question to ask. Uh, obviously, with finance, social media, things like that, it, it's kind of uh, we know how we can how what we can do here. But when it comes to like sanitary waste business, where is the the synergy here with with blockchain tech? Um, so you can look at things like uh, logistics and accounting that potentially could be uh, something that we can do here so we 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 try to figure that out, and then we look at the companies in the in the blockchain space that have created solutions to this, and we potentially buy those companies um, and we force that marriage.
0: What I'm seeing is really a solution to this uh one of the drivers of the wealth gap that we uh that has widened so viciously uh in in recent years. And that is that, because investment is cut off uh, from the uh, let's let's you know we can vulgarize it the poorer classes, the ability to earn a, earn interest on their capital is is limited, and because as we've seen over time, um, the accrual of interest is, has come to take up uh, interest on capital has come to take up the majority of. Uh, of the income of the world now, or the wealth generation of the world, whereas it used to be labour, um, now this gives the opportunity to and to reap the benefits of some of that uh, of some of that interest that is typically that is typically reserved for the wealthier classes. Exactly. Is this the killer app for? Uh, for blockchain that you guys see i mean i mean obviously it is to so let me rephrase that is there, this the killer app for blockchain
2: i i think it's one of the killer apps for for blockchain i think that anything that 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 creates new infrastructure that gives people an option to use the old system or the new system is a killer app for blockchain tech
0: well i'll um i'll, uh, I'll let you guys go and uh, i'll um have this out. well Geez, I suppose I've got to get this out like immediately, don't I? If you can. Um, Thank you so much. Look at it. Hey, no worries. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes. Email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview.